Welcome to Big Girl Poker Chat, hosted by Donna Blevins, the big girl of poker at six feet five inches tall. This is not your average poker podcast. Donna and her guests talk about poker in a way you've never heard before. Listen in and learn about how to play the game and how to win at life. Find show notes for this show and more great content on the blog at biggirlpoker.com. And now, Donna Blevins. Well, hi, this is Donna Blevins, and welcome to Big Girl Poker Chat. Now, I'm constantly responding to what listeners are saying to me, and I look forward to your response. Please leave a five-star review. Yeah, I'm going to ask for a five-star review on iTunes. A comment on comment on biggirlpoker.com and share the podcast on social media. The response has just been astonishing. Well, I have a great treat for you today. I'm going to tell you about Ashley Adams. Been in the poker industry for just a little less time than I have, and I've adored him for years. And we're going to have just going to have great fun together. It's going to perk up your ears and make you drool. But first, I'd like to recommend to you and remind you about Bravo Poker Live app. you got to remember, I just got a new smartphone this weekend, and it is just so exciting. It's real-time, responsive app, and it makes it a breeze to check out the current live action and tournaments in your local card rooms. It's, it's just something that I had never imagined would be so fantastic. It's kind of like magic. It links directly into the Bravo Poker Room management system, and they show you what games are being spread and even how many people are on the waiting list. If you're serious about poker, you simply have to have this app, and you can download it free at bravopokerlive.com, or you can pick it up on iTunes, or you can go with both a Droid phone and an iPhone and download the app. So right now... I'm going to introduce you to Ashley Adams. He's a professional poker player. He is an author. He's a poker show host. He's a writer. He's just, the poker is all around him. Ashley, come on and say hello to me. Well, hi, Donna. I'm very pleased <laughs> to be on your show. It's been a long time that I've known of you and uh, glad to be part of this. I want you to tell us. I, I, you tell everyone that's listening. Tell you know, give us a, a feel. Give me a thirty-second feel of who you are. What you really want to share with people? Well, I'm a. I would describe myself as a poker adventurer because one of my favorite things in the poker world is going to a place and finding a poker room I've never played in before, and then playing in it. I've played poker in forty-seven of the fifty states. I've traveled all over the world and played poker wherever I've played, and I'm always looking for a new poker experience. Oh, boy, do I do I love that. In 2000, my husband and I shut down our real estate office. We got in our motorhome, and we decided we were going to play in, in every poker room that existed in the United States. But the thing of it was they were opening up so fast we couldn't keep up. We played in about 100 rooms in a year, so that was really exciting. Well, Donna, you know, one of my searches has been for somebody who has played in as many poker rooms, I'm talking about public poker rooms, not even counting private games, as I have, and maybe you have played in more. Have you actually ever counted the total number of poker rooms you've played in in your long poker career? Can I guess? I don't guess I have, Ashley, but, you know, maybe I'll start doing that. I, I'm not sure I have a spreadsheet long enough. <laughs> <laughs> I've 
not been been keeping records. You know, one of the things that that I really want everyone to know about is your your radio show and your blog at houseofcardsradio.com. Great place to go to. So I really want people to go there, and I'm actually going to put it up on a link on on the the notes that go with this on a site. So, what would you Terrific. want to tell people as as a you know in a synopsis about that site? Sure. Well. I've got to tell you, when I first got the radio show, uh, which you mentioned, and I'll say again, houseofcardsradio.com, which airs now, I think we're in about eight markets on broadcast radio as well as on the Internet, uh, my producer said, you know, you, you should write a blog. And at first it was a very sporadic, you know, every month or two I'd write something about some poker exploit. But then over the last couple of years, for whatever reason, I've decided to absolutely write every single poker experience and thought, and I write at least once a day. Oh, but how wonderful. Lacking, it is great. I love it. I write things as as banal as um, I'm going down to Foxwoods to play this evening. If anybody's in Connecticut and wants to meet up, please uh, let me know and uh, send me a text or send me an email message, and I'll meet you for dinner. And it's sometimes as long as here are my thoughts on how to place on how to play Ace X uh, off suit in late position, and you know, or here's a book review, or here's the latest on internet poker in New Jersey. Um, but what I'm missing is that for whatever reason, and I get about anywhere from 100 to 400 people visit the blog every day, but for whatever reason, I don't get many comments, and I am really interested in what poker players who are out there have to think about, happen to think about what I'm writing about or if they have their own poker stories to tell. And I would encourage all of your listeners, those that are paying attention, to please come on and make some comments about your thoughts of what I've written or just your own experiences. That's what I really enjoy. You know, that's what I enjoy too. And I found, I really didn't think I was going to get pulled into social media but I have to admit, 2009, I started a Twitter account, and I did. I decided that I didn't know what anybody was going to do. I didn't know if they, they knew who I was from Twitter. And I decided what I was going to do is I was going to log in with a special program that would set the, the posts up every day so you didn't have to go back and do it every day. And I did the ABCs of poker. The poker in life is what I talked about. And I did it, interestingly enough, I did it over 28 days. And today I'm not sure which two of those alphabet, <laughs> alphabetic char characters' letters <laughs> I repeated twice, but I know two of them got repeated twice. And it was astonishing. It was just that one issue of doing something uh, over uh, 28, over a month period, it really yep. started to get it going and started people having a, a conversation with me. And, you know, it was about the same time that, that I launched biggirlpoker.com because people kept saying, well, we want to read your journal. That's what you're talking about, your journal. We want to read your journal. And I'm going, who wants to read my journal? They want to read my journal. And that's literally how Big Girl Poker started. So I think we're kind of in the same time in relationship to that. I, I want to share with people your two books. The, the first one was Winning Seven Card Stud that came out in 2003, and I absolutely have always loved the subtitle, Transforming Home Poker Chumps into Casino Killers. God, I love it. It's just so cool. <laughs> 
And then the one you you published in 2012, Winning No Limit Hold'em, A Practical Guide to Beating Low Buy-In Cash Games. I love your approach. I've, I've heard lots of good things about your book. And what I'm going to do on Big Girl Poker is I'm actually, after this podcast, I like it enough, is I'm going to do a, a, a post on each one of your books. Great. That would be that would be terrific, Donna. I'll tell you something. I... How did you? I know this is you're interviewing me, but I've, how did you get your start in the poker world? Oh, that's funny. That's funny. When in 1996, I owned a real estate company in the southwestern part of Florida on the Gulf, and I was very, very busy. I had a, a government contract with the VA. I worked something like 18 hours a day. It was just awful. And I was working seven days a week, and my my personal life had just gone to, to just to gone, gone to heck. And there was a, a notice of the Seminole Indians were putting a po- some poker tables in the corner of their bingo hall out in Amakali, <laughs> uh, Florida. And I thought Amakali well, rhymes with broccoli. Yes, I know of that a poker room. There you go. And and they said that they were going to put a few out there. And I said to my husband, and my husband had always been a poker player in in California, but when he moved to Florida about 10 years before, he didn't play poker. I didn't care about him playing poker, but he didn't play any because there was no poker to play, and he really didn't know any home games. So I said to him, would you teach me how to play poker? And he had a hesitation for a moment because he had always told me that poker was a guy's game. Okay, it was something that it was a guy's game. And he had he had this mental shift. He took a few moments, and I saw, I could see and feel these gears going in his brain. And I heard him say this to himself: "Hmm, if she learns to play co-poker and likes it, maybe I'll get to play poker a lot." And it didn't occur to me that he would be such a great poker coach. As a matter of fact, I'm now I'm now a poker mindset coach, but we still call him Gregory Weitzel. We call him a coach's coach because he literally has been coaching me since 1996. And I was so insistent upon learning. I, mean, I didn't know what beat what, nothing. I knew nothing about what beat what, Ashley, nothing at all. And so I, yeah, that's right. I, we would go drive the hour out to Mockley, and I go, okay, what is it? Okay, high card, one pair, two pair, three of a kind. And I mean, he listened to it. It was just so dis- discouraging to him, I know, but he was so patient. And it, it was really interesting. Well, I, mean, but- I just got to interrupt the narrative for a yeah. second. People need to know that poker in Mockley and across Florida back then was the most horrible form of poker there was because you had a $10 limit to the size of the pot, and once the pot got to be $10, they would just deal out the rest of the cards without betting, right? That's exactly right. And what was really interesting was that the house pulled $2.50 off the top. <laughs> 25, right. 25%, 25%. So you actually put $12.50 into the pot. You got 10 in the pot. They took 250 I mean, can you believe the amount of money they were making? And And I went in and watched these games, and I looked at him, and I said, I'm not going to play in that because that's not poker. I didn't know about poker, but I said, that's absurd. So actually the first games that I played in – were their sit-and-go uh, little tournaments that they are actually called mini-tournaments is what they call them. Uh-huh. And in Florida at that time, in 1996, they would 
would have a uh, $10 a hand that you could only have involved. So what so what they did was that you've played $25 into a seven card uh, seven card stud. That's what I started out in, seven card stud. And it was you paid twenty five dollars and there were twenty five hands in that tournament. That's it. Twenty five hands. <laughs> uh-huh. And at the end of twenty five hands, whoever was first, second, third were paid out. I finished the very first time I sat down, I actually finished in fourth. As far as I was concerned, I was a winner to get to fourth the first time I sat down. So so that's how I started out in poker. It was just astonishing. Before I actually sat down, I actually insisted that we deal out hands at the kitchen table. And looking back, I literally saw 50,000 hands before I ever sat down at a poker table. At the it was, kitchen table? At the kitchen table. I was just, I, I became so involved in it. It was just astonishing. <laughs> I probably did. It's probably two months worth, and I'm I'm sure we must have I must have seen something like a thousand hands a night over two months. It was just astonishing. And did you it, played it, in Immokalee. Did you also play in Brighton, and did you play in Fort Myers? Uh, not Brighton, and in Fort Myers didn't exist for quite a while. It wasn't actually Fort Myers, but it was it was the Fort Myers Naples dog track that was in Bonita Springs, Florida, and Bonita Springs was actually where I had my my real estate company. So what I actually did was I would go over to play in the cash game, that twenty five cent fifty cent limit game, and I would buy I would plan on doing one thing. I would practice my folding, and my objective was to go for two hours. I was going to take twenty dollars, and my objective would be to set down for twenty bucks, which is a huge buy-in for a twenty-five cent, fifty-cent game. And my objective is to cash out with at least twenty. If you are able to cash out after two hours with twenty, you are playing astonishingly good good poker in that yes, kind of thing. True. Yeah. True. So that's what I would do. It was just astonishing, and but they didn't open until uh, until quite a while. It wasn't really soon. So, so that, that, there I am. I mean, it was that's how I got started, and actually, that's in ni- right. in 1998, I saw the first issue of Poker Digest, uh, which is when Scotty Wynn won, and I was very excited. I I, I kept talking about why doesn't it, why doesn't anybody write about write for beginning poker players because we had a subscription for Card Player magazine, and there was only one column. Um, it was by Jan Fisher. Roy West. Mm-hmm. Yeah, West and and Jan Fisher had the Poker One on One, and that was That's great. Right. But, but I couldn't understand any of the other ones because they had they had terminology I didn't understand, and I complained so much that my husband finally said, "Why don't you just hush up and go write it?" So I I started to <laughs> yeah I started to send in a um, a letter to. To Linda Johnson, who was the editor and publisher and editor at the time of Card Player Magazine, and I saw the first issue of, of Poker Digest, and I said, "Hmm, you know, I think I'd kind of like to start in this this new magazine and kind of grow up with them. It might be kind of interesting." And I sent off the um, the query letter, which is what I learned how to do. And two weeks later, they contacted us and said, "We have printed. We picked up your column." printed your first article, send us six more. And I went, crap, it took me two weeks to write this two, two-page two letter, and they printed it. So that's how I got started. That's terrific. Yeah, I had no idea, Donna. That's a very interesting history. And now you're world famous in the poker world. Uh, it's, it's been really exciting. I, I'm kind of laying back, but it's actually interesting because I believe in 
in uh, 2014, I'm going to be doing a tremendous amount of public speaking because I work a lot with mindset, and people in the poker industry have really responded terrifically to me when I've taught them how to do my mind shift exercises. And, and I've worked with Poker Player Newspaper as well. I'm actually work, working with Florida and Poker Player Newspaper, and that's who you've been writing for for ages, and I have read yeah. your column every single issue. Really? Wow, yeah. you, even more than my mother. <laughs> That's it, even more than your mother. Well, what I want to find out is is tell us about this No Limit book that you've written. Tell me why you wrote it and who do you believe it benefits. And, and that oh, is okay. winning No Limit Hold'em. Tell me about that. Okay, I, I wrote the book because I found that there was a dearth of well-written instructional books for the typical low buy-in, one-two blind, 300-cap uh, player. But there were a lot of books on tournament no-limit poker. There were some great books on, you know, high-limit play and, you know, the stuff that Doyle Brunson had written and Harrington books I liked. But I found that no-limit does not lend itself to a mechanical approach of teaching, but I thought that something that was as simplistic and direct as my stud book was would be a useful tool for the large number of people who are out there who either lose or hardly win at all at the lower limit, no limit game. And so mm -hmm. that's why I wrote it. And I wrote the book um, mainly because I, I thought there was nothing out there. And so the book is... I think best suited for either folks who have never played poker or no limit poker at all and want the building blocks of how to learn how to win or people who are playing either at the beginning or intermediate level, but who don't win. So I start with the basics and then I move people through uh, how to play in early position, mid position, late position, uh, how to play the flop, how to play the turn, and then after mechanically starting them off with a very basic strategy, I give them the tools that I think they'll need to improve their game to beat better players, not just beginning players. Okay, with so that's, that in, that's the history of the book. Yeah, with that in mind, how do you believe poker has changed over the past five or six years? Oh, well, it's changed in a number of respects. First of all, a lot of the poker games have gotten much tougher because the really bad players who played limit or played stud or who didn't play at all that came into the game when Chris Moneymaker made his splash in the World Series of Poker main event, those players who were bad lost their money, got discouraged, and didn't come back to continue to feed, to feed the good players. Also, some of the decent players learned stuff and got better, and the very good players have gotten better still, making the games tougher to beat. So that's one significant change. There are a lot of tougher games. But the other change is that poker has spread. Uh, even though the poker bubble is said to have burst and Internet poker is clearly dried up in the U.S. and making a tiny resurgence now in Nevada and New Jersey, there are many, many more places 
where players can play easily in public poker games. For example, in the last five years, Delaware has opened up, West Virginia has opened up, Pennsylvania has opened up, Ohio has opened up, Florida has uncapped the buy-in from $100 to whatever the casino wants it to be. Missouri yeah, yeah. I, and, I, and I got to say, you, you hot Yahoo to that, by the way. I just have to jump in and say, yippee, so keep yes. going. <laughs> Florida, yeah, yay. yeah. That's right. Louisiana has more places. Um, Oklahoma has more places. I don't know. Are you up in Washington State? No, I'm in Florida. <laughs> you're, you're still in Florida. Oh, because you I'm, have a 206 area that I called into, so that's why. Um, but there's poker in a lot more places. So those places, Maryland just opened up Maryland Live. Oh, so I love that. So all those yep. places, the games are fresh and new with lots of new, inexperienced money. And I would say go to those places. Go to the rooms in Florida, Maryland, Delaware, West Virginia, Pennsylvania, while there's still a large amount of players who really don't know what they're doing, and take advantage of that new money um, because that's a change to the good. <clears throat> that's what I would say. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. Along the, that way, why don't you tell me how you learned the game? You know, you asked me how I learned the game. Why don't yeah. you tell me how you learned the game? Well, I... I learned to play poker from my grandfather when I was five years old. That's where I learned the rudimentary parts of the game that you said you didn't even know until the 90s when you learned them down in Florida. I learned the basic stuff then. But to be fair, although I always liked poker as a kid and in high school and in college, I didn't really understand it until Foxwoods, which is in Connecticut, opened up its doors in 1992. I read one book, and I thought I knew how to play. I read um, Ed Silverstein's <laughs> Winning Poker for the Serious Player, which was a great book for a primer on poker. It had Hold'em in it. It had Stud in it. It had Draw. But, you know, it was written for a beginner, and it, I did not know nearly enough to beat the players in the casino, and I lost regularly at Limit Hold'em and Limit Stud for about two years until I figured out how to win at Stud, which is what I decided to focus on. And then as far as the No Limit, well, I started to play No Limit before the boom. Uh, Foxwood started to spread a 5-5 blind No Limit game, and Lake Elsinore out in California spread some no limit and I played in some no limit and pot limit home games and so I developed some skill in that and then when the lower limits came uh one two the better players moved up to the higher stakes games and those games became very tough so I focused on improving my game at the lower limit levels and I did and I'd say that by about 2006 I was a regular winning player in the one, two, three hundred dollar cap, no limit games, and two five. If it's a soft game, I win quite a bit there. But the tougher two five games, I'm still learning how to beat. Okay, what I want to talk about then. Let's focus on this for the rest of this podcast because I think it's really important. Is I'd like for you to pull out together some of the strategies that you can share with the listeners, the secrets you sure. can share that will actually help them become winning players. 
because the okay, vast ma- the vast majority of people don't win. The vast majority of people bleed to death. And I want you to share with, let's say, five things that you can share with them to really improve their game. Okay. Very good question. Uh, here's how I would answer that. First, you've got to learn the basics. You can't swim two miles in the ocean until you learn the proper strokes in a safe environment and until you develop some stamina and develop your body, right? So Mm -hmm. when it comes to poker, you've got to learn the ABCs. My book teaches them from the very simple, just hand strength, uh, you know, starting card strength, learning the relative strengths of starting cards, and learning why. Learning why suited connectors are good in a multi-way pot and premium pairs are good, but they're not good with tons of opponents. Those kind of basics. So learning the basics. Learning about position. Very important to appreciate in Hold'em how important your position is and how your hand strength changes relative to position. Those kind of basics. But then what you refer to as secrets, which aren't really secrets, they're just uh, strategies. I think the biggest leap forward that people make when they play in a casino, they start out playing very tight, and that's good but they have to learn how to increase their aggression and increase the number of hands they play based on their ability to read other players. Here's an example. When I'm starting out, I am playing what is generally referred to as a small range of hands. I'm going to be playing premium pairs, aces, kings, queens, jacks, and ace-king and sometimes ace-queen and sometimes from late position, passively, uh, ace-suited anything, a king-queen-suited, hands like that, but very limited range. And because I'm playing a very limited range of premium hands, and because I'm going to be playing them aggressively, I'm going to be able to take money from really bad players who are playing hands of a strata slightly less that will improve on the flop but improve to hands that are not as good as the ones that my hand will improve to. So I'll be playing ace-king against people that play ace-jack, ace-ten, ace-seven, and I'll outkick them. Or I'll be playing uh, a suited ace against players that play any two suited cards, and I will be able to stack them when we both hit flushes. Things like that. But my ability to win will be limited for two reasons. One... I won't be able to exploit pretty good players because I won't be thinking about how I might take advantage of their particular style of play. And because I'm playing such a small range of hands and I'm playing basic fit or fold poker, meaning that if the flop doesn't hit me and improve me, I'm generally folding to any pressure. Because my hands are so limited, I'm not in enough hands to make the kind of money that I should be making. So the quantum leap that has to occur for a player to go from being a knit, ABC, tight, aggressive player, only winning small amounts of money against bad players, to being a really good poker player who can win in just about any environment over time, is I have to learn how to read other players and figure out roughly, at least, what the range of cards they have based on their style of play and the flop and the turn. And I have to learn how to exploit them. 
So here's an example of a specific situation. I wrote an article about this called anti-range, which is I don't have to necessarily put them on a hand, but I have to figure out what they don't have. So if I'm sitting in uh, early position and I have ace-jack suited, let's say, and uh, I know that a couple of the players in later position are basic, tight, aggressive players. I call with my ace-jack suited. The book might say, well, if you're really in early position, ace-jack suited is not a hand you want to be in at all, but I call. In late position, you know, everybody folds, to a, or a couple of people call until late position, one of those tight players, relatively straightforward players, raises the $2 large blind and makes it 15 you with me so far? I'm there. Okay. I call. The other players fold. So it's just him and me. Now, what I've already started to do is to figure out narrowing down what hands he's likely to have. He's a fairly straightforward, tight, aggressive player. He's probably got at least some kind of a pair or two big cards. The flop comes. The flop is, uh, let's say it's queen, six, deuce, rainbow, unsuited. I'm making it up. It could be any cards like that. I have missed the flop entirely. I check. He's a fairly straightforward player, remember, and he fires out $30, about the size of the pot a little less than the size of the pot. What do I do? Well, if I'm an ABC player, if I'm a straightforward player myself, basically at the first level of being a good player, a tight player, I called pre-flop. Now I've missed the flop. My opponent bets. The book says I fold, right? I haven't hit. I don't have a flush draw. I haven't hit a jack or an ace. No king-queen, I don't even have a gut shot straight to fill. I presume he has something good, so I fold. But to me, the quantum leap is, first of all, my decision to call so I get into this situation. And then, if I haven't been too aggressive recently, I may call with any two cards, and then when the turn hits, I can bet very big, to represent that I have a monster and he's going to fold because he wouldn't have bet the way he did if he had a huge hand. He wouldn't have bet the size of the pot on the flop. If he hit trips, he would have tried to seduce me either by making some probe small bet or checking. Um, so oh, I'm almost, how are you doing? It? How's it working? It's working very well. But fitfully, I mean, I'm, I'm finding that this is a great way. I'm improving my win rate, but I'm also finding that the swings are larger because being more aggressive carries some risk. There are some times when I will fall into, well, he, he's a better player than I gave him credit for, or my image isn't quite the squeaky, tight image that I used to have, so I can't blow people off of hands by betting large when I have nothing. Or I don't quite have the self-control I thought I had. I should have respected the fact that he called my large raise and not tried on the next round 
to shove and win the pot there. So I'm finding that the swings are bigger, but my profits have gone up from about 20 to about $26 an hour. Okay, so tell me, step back into this, this hand that you created yes. in your mind. I yes. want you to tell me, because what I talk about with my coaching clients so often, and I didn't even realize that that's where my coaching focuses the most because the I get all levels of poker players from beginners to people that are being professional poker players and being very profitable has to do with mindset and mind shifting. What I want to find out is what you were really feeling when you were in that type of situation. Where was your mindset in that hand that you just created? Explain where your mindset was. Wow. Well, Donna, this is very interesting. I've never thought about my mindset as such. I imagine I might have thought of it in some other terms. But when you say, where is my mindset, you mean, what am I thinking about? It's not just thinking. When In our mindset, we actually create energy around ourselves. Because one of the things that you can do with other players when you're at the poker table is you can literally read other poker players by the energy, elect, electromagnetic energy that is around their field. It's really what? How uh, it, do it, I do that? Oh, it is so astonishing. You have to literally step back. You have to step back. You have to get in this, this zone that is someplace different. Stop chatting, settle down into yourself. I call it a calm, easy trust. It's the place that you want to be. You've got to be in that place that's calm. You're centered. You have to move. The easy means that you make your motions easy. You make your moves easy. You take your time. You're almost in a slow motion, and people really can't pick up your energy. And trust, trust is not something that people would use for for a religious standpoint, trust has to do with the fact that you're going to trust that you see opportunities that arise. You see the opportunities that you have to take advantage of. And that's what I keep feeling is that you're not involved in your mindset. Where are you? And you need to figure out what's happening in your mindset because what happens right now is what I'm seeing is that you're fragmented. And you've got this energy around you that's kind of vibrating because you're trying to figure out a new a new approach. And that's a great place to be. But I want you to settle down and focus on your mindset because what you do is use what I call mind shift exercises as you go along because you literally step back from what it is. You detach from what's going on. And you look at it and go, hmm, isn't that interesting? You completely detach. You stop feeding the the furnace of the hand. You step back and all of a sudden people don't have the vaguest idea of what you're doing. Do you get the drift? Yeah, but you said, what's my mindset? And I still don't know the answer to that question. I mean, I'm sure I have a mindset. Give me an example of what an answer to that question might be. What are my options as far as mindset is concerned? Well, where are you feeling? Do you have... Are you feeling confident? Are you feeling at risk? Oh, you... oh, oh, okay. What am I feeling? Well, I guess when I'm in that situation, I've been feeling different different ways. So, <laughs> sometimes I'm feeling, man, I've got this guy by the stones. I'm in control. 
he's going to fold or he's going to call and I'm going to get more money when he folds on the next betting round. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I'm feeling, oh, my God, I hope he doesn't call. Oh, my God, I'm terrified he's going to call me or he's going to come over the top and then I won't know what to do. So I, <laughs> if you gave me a specific situation I had actually been in, if I was recounting some specific I could tell you which of those two poles of feeling I've had, but I got to tell you generally, Donna, I've had them both at different times. Yeah, and what happens is that you're going to be able to give off that energy if you, unless you're able to get in that calm place. Because if you go, oh my God, I hope he doesn't call, well, more than likely he's going to call because he can sense the fact that you're there. Because yes. of the, one of the things that happens and and. and I've been doing mind shift exercises for 35 years, and it didn't occur to me that, that my coaching clients were going to be so interested in it. But what happened was, regardless of how much I knew about the poker game, when I sat down at the table, I settled into this calm place, and people from the very beginning have seen me as a powerful po- poker player and not have a vaguest idea of what I was going to do. Oh, and, okay. and that's a really great place to be. So I really want you to settle into that place of being confident and being calm, but not the kind of confidence that, that reaches out to smack somebody. But you want to be in, in the place that's, that's very calm and just figure out that you're going to win sometime, you're going to lose sometime, but what you're doing is you're going on a different pathway to improve your aggression of your game, but you want to keep your personal energy, the energy field that you have around you, you want to keep it stable. So that's, All right, that's, I like that. Cool. I can, I can use that. Now, where, by the way, where do you play most of your poker now? Do you play down at uh, Fort Myers? Do you drive up to the Hard Rock in Tampa? What, what do you do? Well, actually, I, I live about an hour and a half north of Tampa in Orlando now, and oh. I, I'm in a great location because I'm three, I'm three hours from uh, Jack's, Jacksonville Best Bet. That's one of my favorite places. I'm an hour from the Ocala Poker Room, which is at the... Uh, I've played there, the Highlight. The highlight. That's right, the Highlight. And they actually have Highlight, the Fronton, Highlight Fronton. They have that one at, one month a, a year. <laughs> they actually they actually put poker in front of the name of it. Uh, I love going over to Daytona uh, Kennel Club. I love that. I love going to Melbourne. Melbourne's one of my favorites. I'm going to tell you a secret right now. One of the reasons I love... I love the Melbourne area. It's surrounded by engineers, and they they make great poker players to play against. So that <laughs> to keep I that played in, in Melbourne. I yeah. played there, and I played in Daytona, and I've played in uh, the place that has best bet used to have Orange Park and St. John. I played in both those places. Are they still both open? No, they've closed St. John. Um, I played there. I played in played in Orange Park. That's still open. Um, and I'm five hours from the uh, Miami, Hollywood, all the hard rock there. Um, you know, I've played in the the Tampa hard rock. I believe I've play, I believe I've played in every poker room in Florida. But what have I do you is, played in Elbro. You know, I have not played in Elbro, but uh-huh. I need to go. I need to go there. Have you played in Brighton yet? No, I haven't. How about the Mikasakis? 
Have you played oh, there? Oh, I have played in the Mikasukis. I sure have. Mikasukis is what it's called. Mikasukis. I call it Mikasuki. I don't like that room at all. No, it's Mikasuki. Well, I, it's not my favorite room because it's completely smoking room. It's the one room near, it's uh, west of Miami. And that was right. actually the first place that I ever won a tournament when I first got started. So that was really fun. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. And it Special was a place in your heart for the first place you won a tournament in, that's for sure. That's exactly right. And that was in those days when your tournament, the multi-table tournament, what happened is you had to win the first table. There were 10 tables in the tournament. You had to win that table, and then those 10 people would go to the final table. That's how it worked. It was really weird. But it was it was it was fun. I was so tight when I first started that particular tournament. That the whole key was I st- I was going so broke, and I started out with deuces, and I said screw it, I'm going to play, and I hit deuces and deuces on the turn the river, and I ended up with quads, and I said this is a whole new game. So, That's great. But, but before we get finished, I want to ask you. One thing particularly, because I know that you've talked about the fact that that live poker player has uh, poker play has opened up so many places in the country, and that our online poker has dried up so much. However, there's tremendous number of people who are accustomed to playing online, and I'd like to find out how you would suggest for them to transition their game from online to live, and how do they have to change and be aware of their table image? I know that's a big question, but let me get your yeah, input. Yeah, yeah, No, I get it. Well, okay. the first thing they've got to learn is to only play one game at a time, because if you're going to play five games in a casino, it's very, very stressful on your knees, getting up and down all the time <laughs> to run around. To all the, no, uh, a non-facetious answer. I think they need to appreciate how to keep their mind occupied in between hands and not run the risk of becoming so bored at just playing one game at a time and playing a game that is slower because it's dealt by a person, not a machine, and the folds aren't instantaneous and all that, that they learn some of the skills that you have especially and that I have, which is the ability to read other players based on their body language, their style of play, focusing on them, remembering it, and also realizing that their own image in the mind of their opponent will greatly change how the players are playing against them, and that's a very exploitable concept. If you realize that you are perceived as a very tight player, you can open up a huge range of bluffing opportunities that you don't have if you're seen as a loose, wild player. Your image, though, changes based on your recent experience. People don't have, although I heard there's now an app for this, but they don't have hand histories of you that they can instantly access like you can online. So most players who think that they are reading other players are basing their reads on recent activity at the table. And I think that's something that a lot of players that play online don't realize. If they've been if they think of themselves as tight, aggressive players, because that's how they are, but over the last 20 minutes, for whatever reason, they've been in a lot of hands, the, their image is not going to be tight, aggressive player in the minds of their opponents. It's going to be loose player, because people only think of you as the way you've played recently. Most players. There are some that have 
long-term memories, keep notes, and are very good. But for the most part, in a public poker room, unlike an online room, you're going to be remembered for how you've played recently, and that's a very important consideration that you can use to exploit your opponents. You know, I, I agree with you because one of the things that's important is that you have to realize that there is going to be constant changing and and energy ju- does change at the room because people come and people go. And when something changes, oftentimes you have to shift gears. You have to literally do mind shift, shifting gears and set back and and let your image reset. And I think that's Fair really enough. important. Yeah, I think that's really important. Well, all I can say is, wow, Ashley Adams, you have been one of my most fun guests, and I am really looking. I don't even want to stop, but we're you know we've run out of time. But I want to remind people to go to HouseOfCardsRadio.com, which is Ashley Adams' site, and get involved with him because I've been reading his articles in poker player newspaper for years and our paths have been crossing and I think that we're going to become a really tight friends, Ashley. That'd be great, Donna. I appreciate you having me on and I look forward to having you on as a guest and uh, coming back on to your show. I really look forward to it. This is Donna Blevins, your poker mindset coach and the big girl of poker. You can find me, my podcast, and all of my journal at biggirlpoker.com. Have a fabulous day. Bye-bye. <laughs>